And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what is according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said these words, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled as to what was said about him that day. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul, a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in her years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. That was absolutely beautiful. Uh, breathtaking, wasn't it? Well, it doesn't quite match up with that, but Tom Petty does have this famous song about waiting. And in the chorus of that song, he writes this, The waiting is the hardest part. Every day you see one more card, you take it on faith, you take it to the heart. The waiting is the hardest part. Now, Tom wasn't talking about Advent. He wasn't talking about Christmas. He wasn't really talking about anything that we're doing right now. But the words strike the right note, the right chord, the, the right theme for tonight. In our passage, which Wayne read for us from Luke 2, we meet a man named Simeon, presumably a priest, someone serving in the temple, and we're told that he had been waiting. 
That's precisely how Luke describes it. In fact, if you have a Bible, you can look with me in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Luke writes, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, and here's the word, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he was waiting He was anticipating, he was expecting, he was eagerly looking for the moment when Israel, the people of God, would find satisfaction, would find consolation, would find comfort. The moment when all of the promises that the God of Israel had made would come true. That's what he was looking for. Now we grasp this sort of anticipation at Christmas, don't we? Right, tonight is the night that we're all, everything culminates for the season in tonight and then tomorrow morning. Children are probably the most aware of the waiting and the anticipation, more aware than adults even. But I'm not sure it ever leaves. Remember that classic Christmas song? It, it tells us that we're all actually children. It says, and so I'm offering this simple phrase to kids from one to 92. So assuming that 92-year-olds are children at Christmas time as well. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. Christmas brings up this childish anticipation in all of us. And when I say childish, I don't at all mean that that's a bad thing. In fact, I mean it's an immensely good thing because it is children, after all, who often see things and are aware of things that adults aren't always aware of. It is children who see the deeper truths that sometimes bypass the eyes of adults. Jesus himself said one has to become like a child in order to grasp the movement of God's kingdom. In order to catch a glimpse of God's kingdom, we must see through the eyes of a child. Children can see more purely than adults. Children often see more purely because they haven't been rattled and shaken and shell-shocked by a troubling world. I love that song that, or love the line in the song Stacy sang, the weary world rejoices. Children can sort of see through that weary world, whereas adults tend to have this issue with being so beat up by the world of experiencing the weariness of the world for so long that we don't always see with the anticipation and expectation that the children see with. That's one reason so much of progress in spirituality, many of the great writers of spirituality write about this attitude of childishness, this attitude or this disposition of being like a child. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis in one of his writings, he said, we are not to be children in our heads, that is explicitly uh, mentioned in the New Testament, but we are to be children in our dispositions. And as Jesus himself puts it, innocent as doves, but as wise as serpents. That's the disposition. And so what's so striking here as we think about this text and as we think about this character named Simeon is that Simeon, though he's an older man in this text, he sees with the eyes of faith. He sees with childlike eyes. He sees with spiritual eyes. Calvin, a commentator from about 500 years ago, noted that what Simeon is talking about and what Simeon is seeing can only be ascertained through spiritual eyes. Notice once more how Simeon's described here in verse 25. 
We're told that he was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Those are important descriptors. And he's waiting for this consolation of Israel. And then this final description of him, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. See, what Simeon sees and what Simeon's about to say is directly influenced by the Spirit of God. Go on with me into... would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so we have this revelation from the Holy Spirit here. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to notice is this anticipation. All of this is anticipation. He's looking to see the promises of God fulfilled. And what we find in Simeon with this anticipation is the child eagerly counting down the days till Christmas. It is the child who wakes up at an unreasonable hour because it's Christmas morning. It is a man attuned to God's Spirit. That is Simeon. And verses 27 and 28 go on to tell us about the day he's been waiting for. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and we're about to meet his words, but just notice Simeon's response here, what he's about to see and what he's about to say is spiritual. It is not natural. He's seeing through the eyes of childlike faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what he's seeing is that Christmas has arrived. The lights are about. And as I was reflecting on this text, and as I've been preaching through this whole season of Advent, I've continued to reflect on these prominent themes, which are always prominent when we discuss Advent and Christmas, these prominent themes of darkness and light. See, Advent really begins in the dark, and that's where we started four weeks ago as we've been lighting our candles and talking about what it means to wait and expect Christ to come. And there may be no more appropriate decoration for the meaning of Christmas than lights. See, just before Christmas, those of us in the northern hemisphere anyway, which is all of us here, experience the darkest day of the year. This year it was on Tuesday, but it's always on December 21st or 22nd, where we have the shortest day and the longest night. The day when darkness lasts the longest. Now, before our modern period, before we could explain all of this scientifically, such days were loaded with significance. Everyone looked at a day like that and they said, this is the darkest day of the year. Something must be going on. Now, that wasn't always looking at it from a Christian perspective, to be clear. But nevertheless, people looked at these days as spiritually charged. And it's worth noting that just days before we celebrate Christmas Day we have experienced that darkest day of the year just a few days ago. In the middle of all of that darkness, in the middle of all of that, what do we do? We light lights. We hang lights on trees and on our homes. It's one of those things. Others decorate their houses so elaborately that people travel to watch the lights. We have one of those here in Henrico County. And we understand the metaphor, don't we? Even in a secular society, we understand the metaphor of light in the darkness. 
Do you remember last year, long before Christmas, people were hanging up their Christmas lights, like say in October and November, because of COVID and the pandemic that we were dealing with. They were lighting their houses to spread cheer and good news in the midst of a season of incredible darkness and uncertainty. A moment when all the world was in fear of what's coming next, fear of the unknown. And so we understand that response. What we so desperately need is light in the darkness. And I don't want to strike too sour of a note, but we really must mention it here. Christmas isn't always an easy time of year. Some of you are experiencing your first holiday without a loved one. Others of you are just experiencing another one without a loved one. And that's hard as well. All of that is so painful, and I'm sorry any of you have to experience that. Others, as I've said, feel the pain every single time a holiday rolls around. And while time brings some healing, the damage and the scars are still there. And others are just feeling fear because the world can be scary. There's the ongoing pandemic, there's economic uncertainty, there's the political unrest. In short... We are experiencing what humans have known all along, what children often know more than we do. There are monsters in this dark world. But perhaps Simeon's song has something to say to us. Perhaps Simeon's song offers us some perspective. Look at verse 29 with me. His song's only four short verses. Beginning in verse 29, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. Remember, Simeon believed the Lord had made a promise to him. He believed that he would see the day when God's promises began to be fulfilled. So what does Simeon say? He says, I'm ready. I've seen it. I'm ready to depart, which is a nice way of saying he's ready to die. Simeon is about to face the final battle, that enemy that every human in all of human history has experienced. He's about to face death. And yet, look how he speaks of it. He speaks of it as a friend, as a grace, as a gift from the Lord. He says, the Lord is releasing him. You are letting your servant depart. And he's doing so in peace. This is trust. The Bible says very little about what comes next. It says some things, but, but it's hard to figure out and it's hard for us to grasp fully. But Simeon looks at whatever comes next, this departure... And he feels nothing, no fear. He doesn't feel any uncertainty about it. Instead, he feels peace. Why? How does he get there? That answers in verse 30. In verse 30, he says, For or because my eyes have seen your salvation. The reason I can depart now is because I have seen that you have not abandoned this world. You're still at work. Your promises are coming true. This creation is going to be redeemed. The weary world will find rest. He can die in peace because he knows the moment has come. And that moment, that salvation, that deliverance is standing in front of him in the child Jesus. And that child is God in the flesh. That child is more than a man, more than a great teacher. He is one who will forever change the world. That is what and whom Simeon's eyes have seen. Jesus is the salvation that was promised all along. After all, the name Jesus simply means Savior. 
This is what Gabriel the angel tells Joseph in Matthew's gospel when he says, you will name the child Jesus because he will save his people. The name bears significance. And this isn't just something Simeon will see. The whole world will see it. Notice verse 31. He says, my eyes have seen it in verse 30. But then he says that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So this salvation is prepared in the presence of all peoples. Not just Simeon, not just the religious leaders, not just Israel. All peoples, which includes us almost 2,000 years later. The whole world will see it. Simeon's song is all about what God is doing to fulfill his promises. And it's really fascinating because what Simeon is doing is he's quoting from Isaiah 49, one of those great Old Testament prophets. And if you read Isaiah 49, the very last verse of that chapter says this, Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. The whole world is going to have the cover pulled back and everyone is going to know the one true God. This is an earth-shattering, earth-altering event. History will never be the same. That's what Simeon's seeing. Again, to quote C.S. Lewis, the way he put it in one of his books is this way. He said, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. That's exactly what Simeon knows is about to happen. And that was, to use the words from John's gospel, the light of the world. Look with me at verse 32, final verse here in Simeon's song. A light for the revelation to Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. That word translated revelation is the word from which we get our English word apocalypse. Apocalypse sounds scary, but, but it really just means an uncovering or an unveiling of making something known. It's a revealing moment. So what Simeon's saying is this, there's this moment, this light is coming into the world, and it's an unveiling light. It's telling us that the Gentiles are being let in on the mystery. Christ is the light of unveiling in a dark world. And then he goes on and he says this is also for the glory. It's a light for the glory of the people of Israel. Christ is their glory because it is through Israel that these promises came all along. See, in God's good providence and in His good grace, He chose Israel to be a vessel to bless the world, to to shine the light of the world through Israel. And this light, as John told us and as we had in our opening reading, will overcome the darkness. Though the darkness will fight, it will not prevail. The darkness cannot quench the light. I want to share a line from a poem by W.H. Alden. He has this famous line, and in this this poem he says, We who must die demand a miracle. We who must die demand a miracle. And here is the answer. Here is the miracle. The light has dawned. The mystery has been revealed. It has been uncovered. Christ Jesus is the miracle. Simeon's words have been used in Christian services and Christian liturgy since the 300s, at least since the 300s. Typically, they've been used in evening services like this, or even just before bed. And what's really interesting is the connection of rest for the evening and ultimately death that Simeon's facing here. But the fearful nature of death, the fearful nature of the dark and what lurks in the dark, is overcome by the dawning light of salvation. 
Which is why these words have been so significant for Christians as they retire from the day, as they end their day, as they go to bed for the evening, as they enter into that darkness that we do every single night. Just like the Christmas light shining in the dark, the light of Christ is penetrating the dark world and the curse is being reversed. The peace of God will soon fill all of creation. That's why Simeon says, I can depart in peace. I want to close with a poem, a final stanza from Coleridge's um, Christmas poem about Mary. Then wisely is my soul elate that strife should vanish, battle cease. I'm poor of low, and of low estate, the mother of the Prince of Peace. Joy rises in me like a summer's morn. Peace, peace on earth, the Prince of Peace is born. I want to pray with us, and then in a moment we're coming to the table to take part in that great act of peace which is offered to us, that great shining light in the midst of a dark world, and that is coming to the Lord's table, where we come not by our own virtue or merit, but because we have been invited by King Jesus, because He has earned our spot with us. So let me pray for us at the conclusion of the prayer. I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. If you know it, please feel free to join in. Lord, we are so incredibly grateful for the message of Christmas, for this service that isn't about information transfer, but is about being shaped and formed around the reality of what Christ has accomplished. We are being shaped and formed around the reality that eternal God has stepped into time and space to redeem creation. We are being formed and shaped by the reality that the darkness will not overcome the light. And though it feels that way, though it often feels that the dark is encroaching and will overcome every ounce of hope in the world, Lord, we know that the cross and the empty tomb have provided satisfaction forever and ever. And redemption is only a matter of time. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fix our eyes on that, that you would give us Simeon's eyes and the eyes of children, that we would see that the light has dawned and that we would have eyes to grasp what Simeon grasped. And in the meantime, Lord, we pray in faith as you taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.